looking back, what would you say? Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, this, uh, this type of economics, um, or for anyone who's studying economics, um, you have to realize that Karl Menger's view on the whole subject was, was unique. Um, classical, neoclassical economics assumes that it's the objects that have the value, you know, and they have an intrinsic inherent value. Menger was the first to state that the value is actually a part of your, your consciousness and the object is incidental, as it were. So this gave birth to the principle of marginal utility, and I'll be talking a bit about that later on, not just now. So the frame of, of this school of economics is completely different to the frame of any other school of economics, and that is the guiding principle for the differentiation. It's that value is... Uh, the British expression, the English expression is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now, economists find that concept completely hard to grasp. Artists and poets find it's, you know, nothing but the truth, you know. So that's where I feel we differentiate ourselves. Sort of that's what I feel, you know, makes us completely different from the rest of the economic schools. Yes. And Professor, you know, Karl Menger himself, he didn't have time to, um, to finish his theories. Um, he wrote a very, very short treatise, comparatively short treatise called, um, I can't quote the German, but it's the principle of economics is, is what it's called. Um, and it was incomplete. It was incomplete. And that's the beauty about it is that we're here to complete it, basically. Yes, because these other names you mentioned, like uh, Böhm Bawerk and Mises, and there are several others, kind of, oh, they all admitted the supremacy of Menger. Mm. But in continuing Menger's work, they diverged, and they shifted the focus. Menger was so much concentrated on the basics, on the fundamentals. And then his followers, in my opinion, started to concentrate on details or consequences or practical applications, straying away from the studying the principles. And to my mind, the most glaring aspect of the incompleteness of Menger's work, and that's why all the followers failed, is the theory of interest. Because Menger barely mentions the word, because obviously he had plans to work it out himself, just like he worked out the uh, theory of value through the concept of marginal utility. And uh, this is, in my opinion, what is missing. All the followers, and there are lots of them today, they are very active, and they do very uh, great work. But one thing what they don't do is, or they could not agree on, is the theory of interest. So that's what moved me to concentrate on that. I didn't ignore other aspects, because that's... 
like building a house with improper or incomplete foundations. All right, now there's a, another question which I could uh, uh, ask you. Uh, do you see anything in our previous experience that should be changed or should be uh, uh, made more complete or is there anything what you would see? Because in a sense we are making a new start here, you see? Because we started in Hungary, we had uh, uh, other locations, yeah. but Hopefully, this we could continue in much the same setting in this beautiful historic city of Munich. And I think this is a perfect uh, location for this. So, if we find this successful and it can uh, support itself, then we would like to continue this. Maybe two or three occasions a, a year. I, I wouldn't uh, volunteer for more than three, but three is possible, uh, and uh, then we would continue this, and as I say, this is a new start in a way. We have a little bit of prehistory, but uh, in a way, let's consider this is a brand new start. And my question, is what should we bring from our prehistory to continue and what we may want to de-emphasize because it wasn't so successful? Uh, everything uh, should be included that has been included so far. <laughs> I think it would be um, injustice if we didn't. But more especially from the audience. You know, if you don't understand something, um, make sure you let us know, uh, not whilst anyone is speaking, but afterwards, because there, there isn't really enough um, interaction and questions, um, which means that either it's sort of supremely understood, which is great, then we can sort of move on to the next topic, but I sort of don't feel that that's the case generally. So you must ask lots of questions, even if there's no such thing as a stupid question. Um, because these concepts aren't difficult, but they are um, different. And if you're not used to thinking in a particular way, it might seem a bit strange, even. Um, so questions, 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 that's all. All right, uh, perhaps any questions from the floor? Uh, i tell you what my style is when I'm lecturing. I would prefer not to be interrupted with questions. However, the questions should be answered and the time to ask the questions is the, at the end of the lecture. So what I suggest is that if a question occurs to you during my lecture, then just jot down your question and wait until the presentation is finished and then we have a question-answer period. That's my style. Now, it can be, inter uh, it can be violated. Uh, I'm just saying that, that that's my preference. Uh, 
but if you think that your question is so important that the lecture should be interrupted, and, well, feel free. I, this is not an absolute uh, <laughs> rule. It's just my preference. Okay. Uh, so this is the time to ask questions. Really? I might as well say something. Uh, I've been one of the five who've been to every class, and one of the things that was a bit hard to swallow was interest rates to zero. Um, yeah, well, they're going down, and every time they go down, it doubles. And it's, it's just gone down another notch, and it's getting closer and closer to zero. And the impression on the internet and all that stuff is, well, there's only a little bit of space left. It can't go any lower. Yeah. But the mathematicians up there showed us something different. There's an infinite number of divisions you can make from 2.5% to 1.25% is the same as from 5 to 2.5%, and it's still happening. So I think this, to me, was one day it has to start changing, but clearly the day has not yet come. So I think that's a wonderful... Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a very relevant question because today what is happening is really unprecedented. I mean, the way the interest rate has fallen, even regardless uh, whether the currency keeps its value or it loses value. Uh, I mean, this is really unprecedented because usually if you take a weak currency, then it's compensated by a higher interest rate. And if you have a strong currency, the interest rate can be lower and even approximating zero. But to describe this by incremental drops is the wrong approach. Because if you have an inc incremental drop at the same rate, then you sooner or later reach zero. And that's not what is happening. It's much better to think of this as sequential <coughs> halving. So you start from some level, and rather than saying it drops that much, you say it gets halved. And then it gets halved again, and again, and again. And this way, you get smaller and smaller interest rates, but never zero. Because you can do that this infinitely many times, and you still get a positive interest rate. Yes? I'm sorry, what interest rates are you talking about for, for government bonds? Yeah. That's when you mean interest rate, it's government bonds, US or? Well, you can say that, or LIBOR, okay. or, or <coughs> in different countries. <coughs> A basic rate, which is used as a benchmark for businesses, they, they are not in the dark about them, because there is always a benchmark rate. It could be declared by the central bank, it could be a consortium of the leading banks in a country, or it could be something else. So. So I think the better way to think about this, that we reached a very, very low level, is a result not of sequential dropping, but sequential halving. And that's what is happening, and that's what can continue indefinitely. 
because the other one would come to an end where you reach zero. And that's very important because uh, we'll talk about this, that is zero interval <coughs> possible or not, but to start with, I think to have the good uh, perspective, it's better to say that we are facing a sequential halving of the rate of interest. So, I mean, we'll talk a lot more about this as we go on. Yes? Um, I think you're, you're, you're talking about no, nominal <coughs> rates of interest. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we are uh, already into negative real interest rates. So, once you adjust for inflation, uh, maybe not in all countries, but if you take the 10-year uh, U.S. Treasury rate of 2%, uh, inflation is higher than 2%. So effectively, it's not, it's not just the nominal rate having, but it we're, we're, we're into the negative real yield. Uh, any comments on that? Because that's uh, financial uh, This is not going to be my approach. Okay. That real interest and in inflation adjusted, all that. Um, I'm laying foundation. So I assume that the, the, the interest rate we are going to talk about will define it uh, properly. We haven't defined it, just talking loosely then uh, it's a natural rate. It's not influenced by a central bank of government or whatever. And uh, these distortions, which you are talking about, come later. But to understand the pure theory, I cannot start with assuming inflation and this and that. Yeah. Peter? Um, perhaps for the benefit of the people in this room who have not had the insight of basic financial algebra, um, many probably will have, but there may be some, it may be beneficial to say just in two words that when an interest rate is changed, it changes the present value of the cash flows. <coughs> and, and that may be Okay, very, very basic, but I think without understanding that, it's impossible to follow, <laughs> isn't it? And perhaps maybe um, in, in just two words, I mean, you don't have to go into a course of financial algebra, but um, it may be um, beneficial. You could sum it up by saying when interest rates go up, bond prices go down, you know, and yes. vice versa. Um, so if you don't know that, you should. And if, if, interest rates, if interest rates are half, the present value doubles. Um, basically, almost. Almost, yeah. Um, that is it's probably not a course that we do here, but it's important to understand. Now, uh, <clears throat> I think the present situation is, is most confusing and it's not confusing by accident, but the waters are muddied 
by authorities. They don't want people to see clearly and so on. So on the one hand, the authorities pretend that the interest is in a way natural because they don't admit that they are directly controlling it. And a very interesting question to my mind, which I could not answer to my own satisfaction, is are the authorities really in charge? Or things are already at the stage that the runaway train comes down with the slope and the brakes are inoperative, they dismantled them, and we are approaching a sharp curve, this runaway train. And then the authorities try to put this lever, pull that one, and so on, but there's no effect. The levers are not connected to anything, and certainly the brakes have been disabled. And uh, I, uh, in, on the one hand, see the governments and the central banks are taking credit for the low and still falling interest rates, because it's good for business and so on. And I question that. First of all, falling interest rates are not good for the economy. That's a subject in itself which I will tackle later. But it may be that the interest rates are now falling on its own and the uh, people at the central bank level and government level are desperate. They would like to stop it at one point, but they are unsuccessful. We don't know. I'm not suggesting that's what's happening, but I have some evidence that this is what is ha happening. The uh, authorities have lost control. And uh, right now, the, that's the best uh, comparison I can think of. Runaway train without brakes going down slope and the sharp curve is approaching. And what to do, you see? And I think what the government does, what the central banks do, is just counterproductive. They think they are in control, but they are not. Or, or let's put it with, perhaps by now they realize they are not in control, but they have to pretend and convince people that they are in control and you have nothing to be afraid of because it's in good hands. Competent people are driving the train. So uh, just have this in mind that not all the information which is coming from governments is uh, perhaps reliable because they are lying and in fact this is what looks very often. Keith? I was just going to add a comment. I think it was about three weeks ago, one of the Federal Reserve officials, I think it might have been uh, Fisher, made a comment that we have to add confidence back into the game. <laughs> 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 I remember reading this saying, what? 
<laughs> Start selling confidence on the market. <laughs> well, confidence gaining is, you use those two words in the same breath. Any more questions from the floor? Uh, just a, a remark. I, I'm not an academician. Uh, I'm, I'm an asset manager as well. And so I, when, when you say interest are dropping, I say, well, in Spain and Italy, they are not. And, uh, and I don't know if the, any government has ever had any control over the long end of the bond curve. I mean, as a practitioner, I don't think so. Uh, and I don't. I mean, it's the market who makes it. What curve? The long, uh, the the far end of the curve. Oh, the yield. Yeah, yeah, the high. Not that the far the away. I mean, like the long tenure. Well, what can the Fed make? What can the Banca Banca Italia make? Well, they Bank did bring Spain. they did bring the Spanish and Italian ten-year yields sort of down to yeah. you know five percent. So they can they can control it. You know. No, they can mess with it. With it. They can't control it. They can decide, we want it at 2%. I want to see that. Uh, so, is this a question or a yeah. comment? No, it, it's a question because uh, it's, I, fi I find it hard to understand where we talk. Well, interest, are dropping, interest rates are dropping to zero. Well, yeah, if you talk about the JGB or the Japanese government bond or the Bund or the Swiss, uh, but, but others are not. And, and I don't know if, if there's a theory explaining that, because it's all governments and they're all omnipotent, or at least they, they think. Well, you I think I'll, yeah, I'll, um, first of all, the Eurozone is a bit of a mess. I yeah. mean, so I wouldn't use that as a prime example sort of, of, of what we're talking about, per se. But uh, Germany the Eurozone and German rates have been falling, you know, um, substantially. France is the Eurozone and their rates have been falling substantially as well. Now, um, Italy, Spain, Greece, Portugal, all of these countries, you know, they have a history of monetary shenanigan. You know, it's not like what's going on now is unknown to the people of those countries. Mm. You know, just they speak to their grandparents or whatever and they can tell them all about it. Now, the whole construction of the euro was flawed in the first place. So to use those examples specifically, you know, yes, it's valid, but it's not directly, you know, we're talking about US markets, you know, the, the, uh, the British markets, the yeah. debt, German, French markets, the debt, look at the, the Norwegian market for debt, you know, that kind of thing. Where, uh, sorry, yeah, Rudy? When you okay, sort of where you have the ability to, um, <coughs> you can control the interest rate. I mean, you can control the interest rates because you can purchase as many bonds on the open market as you want. So you can keep the nominal interest rate at whatever level you want. The consequence of that will be something else which you can't control. But you can, in a fiat regime, you can manipulate the interest rate to whatever end you want. Now, they haven't done it at the long end of the curve yet, but it's a pretty simple procedure to extend it from what you're doing at the short end of the curve. Um, you just go into the market and buy longer-dated bonds. But is, uh, let's, let's talk about Treasury then. Is it really the Fed buying anything, or is it just the big pension funds who don't know where to go with their money? I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, Rudy, sorry. Yeah. I'd like to comment on that. There's no such thing as a euro bond. There is a euro currency, 
but there's a Spanish bond, an Italian bond, and so on. And this is one of the problems. Either there's a Euro bond, and of course then the Germans are responsible for paying it, or there isn't. And when you're talking about interest rates, those people who borrow are borrowing euros, but it's the bond is in their country name. Mm -hmm. So it's disconnected yeah. between the issuer of the currency and the issuer of the bond. Whereas in the US, it's the same, it's under the same hat. Mm -hmm. So if there was a euro bond, then this would apply. But since there isn't, that's why there's a disconnect. Okay. All right, now, uh, I think we should put an end to this yep. discussion, but it was a warm-up, yes. so to speak. Okay. okay. So we'll start with the course, but I'd like to have some idea how much time we left of this period. Until 12 o'clock. We can continue on until 12. T until what? Until 12. Oh, 12. Oh, oh. Yeah. And then at 12, we adjourn, we adjourn for lunch break. For lunch. To uh, 2.30. And 2.30. And then after that, we have another lecture. And what about question period after the second lecture? We uh, try to uh, bring the question period from the first lecture into the second lecture. That's why we extended it for half an hour. And so the morning lecture will be two hours and the afternoon lecture two and a half hours. No, so that's a bit too complicated <laughs> for me. Could you simplify? So we, get, we meet here at 2.30. Yes. And then I will continue my lecture with yes. the second lecture. And that uh, takes us up to two hours. Well, keep it flexible. So at, uh, at least one hour, but I can run over, right? And then. The, 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 is there a break or we just continue with a discussion? We can make a break. Hmm? That would be fine if we do a break. We can have a short break and then continue and uh, we call it a day. When is the day? Okay. So, that's everybody knows. And that will be the pattern for the rest yes. of the week. Good. Well, it is proper humiliation, I have to admit it to you, that I approach this subject. I don't get up and put the name of Karl Menger on the flip chart. He was born in 1840, died in 1921, and he was a very busy man. He carried high government offices there. He was uh, entrusted by the Austrian-Hungarian government with uh, carrying out a monetary reform. Probably you are all aware that there was a Latin monetary uh, union in effect. See, because there is also a Karl Menger with a K, and that uh, is uh, uh, his son, natural son. He adopted the, the natural.